Funny story, two weeks ago I was sitting in here listening to Pastor Justin speak and he mentioned the second service and it hit me like a ton of bricks. There's two services. I'm going to have to do this twice in a row. So again, hats off. Um, and let me just express my appreciation to this church, the pastors, the leadership. We've been here almost a year now. The worship team, uh, we, we, we love it here. And uh, just a shout out to the worship team. I, I said nothing to them about what songs would be appropriate, and boy, they nailed it, because songs about the res resurrection are what our hope is in, isn't it? The resurrection of the body. That's what our hope is in. And so you nailed it this morning, and I really appreciate it. Uh, what a blessing. This morning, we're going to talk about the gift of hope, and Pastor Justin asked me to address it from the perspective of the outsider or the pagan. Not, <laughs> not sure about that, but uh, there was a time in my life where I fit that description to the T, and I want to share a little bit about that, but the good news is where I am today and what God has done for me, and the evidence of that is my family back there. You know, they could, they could easily still jump up and say, hey, buddy, practice what you preach and run out of the back of the church, but they don't do that, and, and I love them and I appreciate them. My family is, has been a, a big source of joy and, and support over the years, so thank you. Love you guys. So the promise of hope from the perspective of the pagan or the outsider. You know, it's interesting to me, especially in this season, we see the world shoveling false hope into our lives on a daily basis. It doesn't matter where you look, the TV, the wherever, billboards, when we talk to people, the world has plenty of hope, but it's all counterfeit. It's all false hope. And so this morning, we want to look at what our hope and trust is in and who our hope and trust is in specifically and the promises of hope in the Bible. Uh, funny little story about hope. I didn't tell this the first service, so. Um, you know, when I thought of hope, I thought of my amazing wife. Because many of you know we live in an old house. It's a farmhouse that was built back in 1860. Now, the one thing they didn't have back in 1860 was walk-in closets with plenty of space. Those weren't a thing back then. And we don't have them today. We have these little afterthought add-on closets. Now, my wife is not a hoarder, but she's a saver. She's prepared. I'm telling you what, if something goes down, she is on it. And I, I'd also add that if there was ever a professional Jenga tournament, she would be the woman. So the hope, the false hope, the earthly hope that I have when I open up one of our closets or cupboard is that I don't get buried by an avalanche. Now what I've done over the years, I always ask her to go find things for me in these small closets and cabinets because she is a master at pulling out what I want and giving it to me without being buried in an avalanche. So I love you, baby. You're awesome. That's an example of earthly hope. Sometimes it may work out, sometimes it's not going to work out, and sometimes it never works out. So the hope the world is peddling is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. The Greek word for hope means no uncertainty, certain but not yet realized, confident expectation in the unseen in the future. That's the Greek word elpis. The, the verb elpizo means... It, it's often translated as trust, so hope and trust go hand in hand, uh, the emphasis being on who 
we set our hope and trust in. Confidence, confideo. The Bible says, without hope, without confidence, without faith, it is impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So confideo, with confidence, with trust, with hope. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. That's the hope that Jesus brings. Uh, talking about trust a little bit, I, you know, I believe God loves it when we worship. I believe he loves it when we gather together and praise his name. I, I, it gives me energy. I love it. But I believe God, if God had a love language, I believe it, it's trust. It's tr- God loves it when we trust him, when we trust him, when things look hopeless, when things don't look like they're going to work out, when we wonder what the world is going on, God's love language is trust. See, mine is presence. What, what I love is to be with my wife. What I, that's why I'm always calling her at the end of school. When are you coming home? When are you coming home? You see, one of the reasons our marriage has worked so well is because I'm home for three days and I go away for three days and she gets tired of me, then she misses me, and it, we just repeat that cycle. So it works real well. But... Um, I believe trust is God's love language, mine being presence. One of the things I like is when my boys come and help me do things around the house and the yard. That's my love language. But God's is trust. He wants us to trust him. And so I would encourage you this morning to learn and hold on to God's love language. Trust him. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the fullness of time. Before we talk about that a little bit, isn't it interesting thinking about trusting God and that being his love language when we trust him? You know, I, I have 250 people get onto my airplane every time I fly a trip. They're ne- some of them are never going to see me. They're never going to know me. They know nothing about me. But they're going to trust me to fly that hunk of, well, it's graphite, not metal. It's, an, it's a new airplane. <laughs> it's composite to fly that airplane to Europe. They trust me. And yet people will not put their trust in the maker of the universe, the God of creation, the God that holds us in our hands. They won't put their faith and trust in that, but they'll trust me to do that. You'll trust a dentist to put sharp objects in your mouth. You don't know him really well either, do you? You trust a doctor to work on you. But yet, people scoff at the thought of putting our trust and our hope in the God of the universe. Don't fall into that trap, church. Don't fall into that. So let's talk a little bit about the fullness of time. The fullness of time. What was going on in Judea at that time in the world? It was, it was an amazing crossroads of, of philosophy, culture, religion, economics. The Roman Empire was, was in control. It was a crossroads because you had the, the region of Assyria, which is one of the crown jewels of the Roman Empire because of its resources. And then you had Egypt, same thing. But there wasn't much in Judea, but it was a crossroads. It was a, where people traveled between those two parts of the Roman Empire. You had the Romans there in charge. You had Herod the Great, who was the king. You know about Herod the Great. He wasn't a very good guy. He's the one that killed the infants two years, the infant boys two years old and younger when he thought he was going to try and kill Jesus. He killed his wife. He killed his three sons to stay in power. This is the kind of guy that was there. The Romans were ruthless. The way they kept power in such a broad region 
is because they squelched every form of rebellion. And see, there were Jews that still remembered what it was like not to be under the bondage of the Roman Empire. They knew what it was like to, to, have, to rule themselves, and they wanted that. So you had the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the teachers of the law, who were legal, very legalistic. You had the Sadducees that controlled the temple worship. You had the Essenes, who were the holiness movement of the Jews. And then you had the zealots that wanted to take the country back by power and kill all the Romans and establish Jewish rule again. So that's what was going on. That's what we mean by the fullness of, the t- fullness of time. You see, we don't serve a God of chance. We serve a God of divine appointment and purpose. And so when the time was right, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to deliver those who believe from the bondage of the law. Amen? And, and he's still doing that today. I'm evidence of that. I'm evidence of that. Uh, Next scripture reference is Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what we sang about this morning, isn't it? Jesus came to save his people from their sins, not to give us an easy life, not to meet all our needs, not to meet all our wants and desires. He came to save us from our sins. He's our Savior, and that's primarily what he came for. Now, there are byproducts of serving Jesus. Uh, That's a bad word. There are benefits of serving Jesus and walking with him and choosing to do things things the way God wants us to. There are byproducts in that in our lives, but primarily Jesus came to save us from our sins. And it's interesting to me, talking of outsiders, pagans, the shepherds were the lowest caste of society. And yet the angel appeared to them to proclaim the birth of Jesus. They were the outsiders of of that day. They were the lowest of the lowest. And yet God included them in the proclamation of Jesus coming to save, be the Savior for our sins. The interesting thing to me is every time the angel appeared with this proclamation, he said, fear not, fear not. Now, the interesting thing about fear is that fear infects, then it redirects our worship. And I'll tell you how. The Jewish people were surrounded by false gods. Now, did God say to them, do not worship the false gods? No, that's not what he said. Look it up in in the scripture. He said, do not fear them. Because God knew that if he feared the power, if they feared, the Jewish people feared the power of the false gods, it would infect, then reinfect, then redirect their worship off of him. Um... Jonah 2.8 says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. And I, I've seen that in my life. I see it in so many people's lives. They, they chase after vain idols, things that don't satisfy, things that, quite frankly, will ruin our lives. They chase after that because the pleasure of sin for a season 
appeals to them, but in the end, it leads to destruction. So don't chase after those vain idols. Interestingly enough, I have a, uh, I'm a farmer and I'm a pilot, so I'm in farming and flying. My wife often tells me, boy, you sure pick two stable industries <laughs> to be involved in. Uh, so often in my life, I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm at the point in my life now where I tell people, you know what, if it ends tomorrow, it's been a blessing. It's been fun while it lasted. It's been a great way. I love my job. I've had numerous opportunities to share Jesus with people at my job. But if it ends tomorrow, it's okay. But there was a day when I worried every day because the, the industry's like this. I mean, I was furloughed for two years, but the Lord provided. Uh, I've almost been furloughed you know, again, but the, the Lord provided. And so fear, when we fear not having enough, what do we do? We grab onto things, don't we? because it redirects our worship. And we start to worship things and money and mammon. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, and that's the spirit behind the economic world. You can't serve that. You'll hate one and love the other. So what I would do is we have this uh, forum on our pilot's website called CNR, Challenge and Response. And, and my good wife would say, you don't need to spend so much. That, that's where all the industry news and what's going on in the industry. So I would spend hours wa listening or watching and reading CNR to see, because I was worried about my job and would I be able to support my family. So it redirected my worship. Church, I'm here to tell you about a year ago, God redirected my worship. I was, I'm, I was sort of a news junkie. You know, I love to watch the news and I, and I would, I would watch both sides and I would agree with one probably more than the other, but that's irrelevant. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hard work and personal responsibility kind of guy. Uh, but I would, I would do, God convinced me, well, I was listening to a sermon by, by Bill Johnson, and he said this, he said, if you spend more time in social media, in the mainstream media than you do in the word of God, then your frustration is self-induced. And that hit me like a ton of bricks, church. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, the enemy has let my fear redirect my worship to places that don't satisfy. And I was always in the news. I was always on CNR. And I want to tell you, I rarely, I, I, I rarely watch the news. I might watch a clip on YouTube, but I don't watch news anymore. I have all forms of social media. And, and listen, social media is okay. It, it's... It's good for encouragement. It's good for connection. But if that's where your life is, you're misplaced. Okay, so I'm not beating up on people that have social media on their, on their devices. Okay, I'm just saying the Lord convinced me I needed it. I was never into, you know, all that other, what is it, Snapchat, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. But the Lord convinced me that I needed to start my day with his word and soak my mind in the truth because everything else is just opinion. It's just opinion. It's not the truth. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us hope. The truth in the Word of God. The Spirit of God speaking in our lives through His Word, through other people, through our pastors. That's what gives us hope. Not social media, not the news. And so fear misplaces our hope and trust and leads to disappointment, anxiety, 
and eventually despair and anger. That's what fear does. And that's why the angel came and said, do not fear, because I have a message of hope and redemption and reconciliation. And it's going to be for all people, even the pagans and the outsiders like me. Some of you know my testimony, how I came to be where I am today. And it's a pretty amazing story. And I want to I'll share a few, de- few details. I'm ahead, I'm ahead now. I'm ahead, yeah. I just want to share a few details of that because, you know, you can, you can argue theology with people all day long, and you'll, you might get somewhere, probably not, but if you share your testimony with them, they can't argue with that. If you share with what, what Jesus has done for you, they can't argue with that. And so... Uh, I want to share a few details of my testimony. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, because we love not our lives more than death. And Queen of the, let me just share, this is a little ahead in my testimony, but her grandpa, uh, when I, when I, after I got saved, I lived with her daddy, Mark Yoder, and, and I didn't know five o'clock came twice a day back then, but, but he was a dairy farmer, so I soon found out. And her grandpa, Mark Sr., would come bouncing into the barn at 5 a.m. with the biggest grin on his face, and he would have a scripture of the day for Mark and I and him and Arlie, their hired man, to, to memorize. And I memorized tons of scripture at 5 o'clock in the morning when I would have much rather been in bed, and I remember those scriptures today. So the Word of God is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, I... Uh, Yeah. Sorry. I grew up up near Laws Mennonite Church, which is now Carpenter Bridge Community Church. And uh, the way I got there was, well, let me, my mother was English. My father was an Air Force guy. They got divorced when I was one year old. I went back to England to live with my grandparents and my mother in England, and then she met another American Air Force guy, married him, which is my stepdad, Ken Acoth, and they moved back. She came back to Dover here. He was stationed at Dover, and um, a year later, my mother died of cancer, and so I barely knew my stepdad. He had just finished the adoption papers, and, and... and he did the best he could, but he was a hurt man, and hurt people hurt people. But anyway, he sent me back to England to live with my mother's parents, my grandparents, for about a year. And then he called me back over to, to Dover to live with him and his new wife and her two children from his, her first marriage. And again, I mean, no, you, know, you, know what, you know what grace does? Grace allows you to honor your father and mother, but not be them. Amen. It, and, and, and I don't want my children to be me either. I want them to move on in, in maturity and in character and not be me and learn from my mistakes. So I'm not, but it, it, was, it was dysfunction. It was pain. It was, my, my stepdad was abusive and it was a bad time. But there was a seed planted back in, uh, oh boy, 1972. Lydia Emerson, Lydia Byler, came by 
the house in her green Econoline Ford van. I'll, I'll n- never forget it as long as I live. And she started taking us to Bible school and then Sunday school. And then Aunt Esther started picking us up and taking us. And so the seed was planted. Dorothy Yoder, Aunt Dottie, she was my Sunday school teacher. Mark Yoder was one of my, Junior was one of my Sunday school teachers. And they started loving into me and sowing into my life. Now, when I got a little older and got into high school and you know, I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for affirmation, and I looked in all the wrong places. And I got into drugs and alcohol, and I stole from my parents to support my habit. And, and I was, if you could have seen a picture of me at 16, 17 years old, you would have seen a picture of hopelessness, despair, anger, bitterness. And uh, yeah, I needed, some, I needed an infusion of hope. And that's the fullness of time. Jesus showed up. He was always there because people were sowing into my life up to that point. Two months prior, I had gone to a, um, a youth group trip to West Virginia with the youth group with Mark. And that's the first time I heard the... I, I know I heard it before, but that's the first time the gospel message took root. It took root. And then I, I, like I did in the first service, I want to encourage you, always be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you with all gentleness and respect. Don't wield the truth like a hammer. Do it with gentleness and respect. And then people, then, then it'll, you see, I, in the parable of the sower, I think the, the, the path is from where the church has trampled down the soil from our heavy handedness. God forgive us for that. We don't trample down the soil. But be sowers. Do it with gentleness and respect. But when it all came to a head, I I almost got arrested for possession of marijuana. I came that close. I got strip searched at school a couple times. That'll get your attention. Um, I, yeah, it was bad. My my parents. I was skipping school. My parents found out about it, and and it, it went bad. And my my dad had had it. He said, well, I'm sending you back to England to live with your grandparents, and I'm done with you. There's, you know, it's over. And Mark Jr. heard, Mark Yoder Jr. heard about that, and he came to visit me one night, two days before I was to leave. Had my ticket paid for, I was ready to go. And Mark came into my room that night and shared the gospel with me. And I said, you know what, Mark, nothing else is working. So we got on, the, on our knees by my bed, and I asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I asked him to be the Lord of my life, and I told him I'd trust him no matter what. You know, the exciting thing about that, he knew I needed an infusion of hope, and so he was about to do something miraculous because when my dad made up his mind, he never changed it. He was a lifelong military man, not a Christian, a hard man. Uh, He always, when he made up his mind, that was it. Well, the next day uh, was... Was, the, was Easter Sunday. How about that? That's pretty good timing, huh? And I went to the, Mark picked me up and took me to the Easter service at Greenwood Mennonite Church. And then the next day, my dad loaded me up in his red Chevy pickup and we started driving for the Philadelphia airport. And I was a brand new believer and I needed to know that God was real. Well, we got to Wilmington, he stopped at Clemeny's, the rest stop. Anybody old enough to remember that? Clemeny's. And he went inside a phone booth. You see, there were no cell phones back then. He went into the phone booth. 
I didn't know it, but Mark had told him, listen, don't send him to England. Let him come live with me. I'll try to get him into our school, GMS. Let him come live with me. Don't do it. My dad said, nope, don't waste your time. Mark told me this many years later. He said, don't waste your time. He's not worth the effort. And so um, my, my dad went into the phone booth, and he called Mark. Mark's a farmer. It's April. He's usually out in the field, but he just happened to be walking through the barn at that time, the milking barn. The phone rang right when he walked by it. He picked it up, and it was my dad. My dad said, is your offer still good? And Mark said, absolutely. We turned around and started heading south. He didn't say anything to me. I didn't know what was going on. We got back to the house, and, you know, I shared a room with my brother for years. I went in the house, and my bed was gone. My possessions were gone. There was no... You wouldn't have known I lived there. And that made, that made a, an impact on me, that God was about to infuse hope into my life. Mark's wife, Polly, showed up in the farm truck, 24 years old, big and pregnant with Jeremy, and uh, took me home to live with them. They took me into their home at 24 years old with one, a one-year-old, one on the way. Um, they loved on me. Mark discipled me. He, they put up with a lot. I've, I remember later Mark told me a story of him going to his dad, Mark Sr., and saying, Dad, what am I going to do with this boy? I'd like to snatch him ball-headed. He just won't listen. He's stubborn. What am I going to do? And, and Dad said, Sonny boy, sometimes you've got to love him out of it. You've got to love him out of it. And that's, that's why we need hope and we need the grace of God because sometimes all we can do is love people. So, pretty, pretty amazing story there. Real quickly, before I move on to finish this up, a shout out to grandmothers. You know, my grandmother, my father's mother, didn't see me from the time I was one till I was 17. A lot of you know my grandmother. She died here back in 2017. She got to come here and live near us, one of the greatest blessings of my life. I used to dream about jumping a train and going up to live with my grandfather because things were so miserable for me at home. And I'd, I'd never met her, but she sent me stuff. She sent me gifts and cards. She called me when my stepdad would let me, and she prayed for me. When I went up to see her the first time after I lived, moved in with Mark and Polly, I met her. She, she could, that's when you could come in and meet people at the jet bridge. You could come inside security. And I remember seeing her at the end of the jet bridge, like, like out there at that door. And she had, a, she had a gentle smile on her face. And I walked up to her. You know what she said? She didn't say, hey, it's great to see you. Hey, I love you. Hey, hello. She said, Bobby, I've been praying for this day for 17 years. That's what my grandmother said to me. So those of you that are grandmothers, grandfathers, keep praying. If you've got grandchildren that you're concerned about, keep praying because it pays off. And my, my maternal grandparents in England, they grew, they grew up in the Church of England, which was very... Yeah, anyway, uh, a lot of churches over there, not a lot of Jesus. But they were saved at a Christian chapel around the corner from their house and got baptized, and they prayed for me also, and they loved on me. So uh, God puts people in our lives and sows that seed, sows those seeds of hope in our lives. And, and it's miraculous, and it's the same way for all of us. We all have that fullness of time experience. All right, let's move on quickly. 
Hey, that clock said five minutes when I started. I want you to know that. All right, let's, uh, next, next scripture is Romans 5. 1 through 5, quickly now. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a mouthful of theology in this passage, but I want to get to verse 3, but I can't skip over 1 and 2. It's just, it's, it's awesome. We have been justified by faith. It's a one-time proclamation. You are right with God because of what Jesus has done. We have peace with God. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just an inner calm. I'm talking about the fact that sin put us at war with God. But Jesus has reconciled us to God, and the war is over. It's finished. There's no more war. There'll be no, there's no more war with God because of what Jesus has done. Amen? Sometimes we don't act like it, though, do we? But that is the truth, church. Peace with God. Peace with God. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This, uh, this access, this, this would be a word that the, the, the Jews really didn't understand because the, the high priest only went into the Holy of Holies once a year. But because of what Jesus has done, the, the literal and spiritual veil is rent and we have access into the presence, the very presence of God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. That's what we believe. We need to act like it, church. We have access into the Holy of Holies by faith into this grace in which we stand. You know what? Grace is a firm place to stand, isn't it? It's a firm place. The, the interesting thing about grace, though, is we don't, we don't manufacture it. We don't produce it. We have to receive it to extend it. And so the way we do that primarily, and the Scripture says, is we humble ourselves. We say we don't make a better God than you do. We need you. We humble ourselves, and then God pours grace into our lives. It, it's sufficient, the Bible says. It's enough. And yet still we miss the grace of God. How do we miss the grace of God? We get bitter. We get angry. We think God doesn't know what he's doing. We don't. I believe there's always a process between the promise and the payoff. And so we don't let God complete that process in our lives. We try to avoid it even. We try to get our hands on it and manip manipulate it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, church. We need grace. You know why we need it? Because the people we love the most hurt us the most. And, and, and I'm guilty. But grace received at any time is soon enough. That's another Mark Yoder Jr. quote. Grace received at any time is soon enough. It doesn't matter how far down that road we are. We, God can bring us back. His hope doesn't disappoint, church. The grace of God is a solid place to stand. All right. I'm good. I'm down with this chapter up to this point. Okay, there's some, there's some awesome promises and theology there, some awesome truths. But here's where I struggle. And I know you do too. Do you know we're only one phone call or one life? or one, We're one phone call from a life-changing event. That's just, that's, that's the truth. Our life can change in an instant, and there's people in here that know that better than I do. But I'm down with this, chap, this, this chapter up to this point. The Bible goes on to say, not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings. What does it look like to rejoice in your sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, 
and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So everything up to this point resonates with me. But that verse 3, it gets me every time. We're to rejoice in our sufferings. We cannot do that unless we have put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You will not be able to do it, church. So don't waste your effort. Don't try. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Trust. Remember, that's his love language. You can have great faith and still be frustrated in the process and wonder what in the world is God doing. That's possible. I know some people say you can't, but you can. The problem is we often equate the evidence of or lack of God's love with the circumstances of our life, don't we? That's what we do. We think, well, if I'm doing what I should, if I'm acting like I should, trust in the Lord, everything's going to go my way. Jesus said, the servant is not greater than the master. If they persecute me and I suffer, so will you. So suffering is evidence that we're serving the master. Amen? Amen? The problem is we try to avoid it. We try to rush it. We try to manipulate it. Like I said earlier, don't do that. Don't confuse God's love with conformity to our agenda. God's not my vending machine. We think if God loves us, he's going to do everything we want him to do. He's not a vending machine. He's our savior. So often, I thought my faith and my legalistic obedience would control the outcomes in my life. Not so, church. God is God of the outcomes. He's Lord of the harvest. I'm the sower. So I sow to the spirit. I sow into my family. I sow into the body. I sow into the places God gives me the ability to do that. And I trust the Holy Spirit to bring... I can't be the Holy Spirit to anybody. When I try to do it, it always goes bad. It never goes well when I try to be the Holy Spirit. So don't rely on yourself for the outcome. Trust Jesus for the outcome. He's the Lord of the harvest. Our responsibility is process. Allow God to work that process in our lives. Unfortunately, most people move on from the event or trial and never process that disappointment and hurt, and then it leads to fear and bitterness and anger, and then it destroys families. You know, one of the things I noticed, uh, I'd, I'd used, I've, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of funerals, and, and I know you pastors know that's like, that's holy ground with families. Um, and so I've been honored to do that. And I always use that proclamation of Jesus from the book of John, one of the seven great proclamations in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, shall live. That's what we believe, isn't it? We're looking forward to the resurrection of the body. We're looking forward to that. And we believe it by faith. Um, in John, in that, I never saw this till I was preparing for Aunt Dottie's funeral last February, but in John 11... Verse 6, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and loved Lazarus. He loved them, the Bible says. This was after Martha had sent word to him that Lazarus is sick. The Bible says this. It says, so he waited where he was two more days. Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus really loved them, he'd jump on, 
jump on the subway and get down there real quick, right? No subway back then, but why did Jesus wait? Sometimes the goodness, the power, the faithfulness of God is only shown in his perceived absence. You see, the Jewish people believed that the spirit of a dead person could be revived up to three days. So Jesus showed up four days later. There was purpose in that because Jesus was about to make this proclamation to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, shall live. Now, if Jesus would have just made that proclamation and, you know, left Lazarus in the tomb, do you think people would have believed him? Probably not. But he, we know the story. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And even the, the, many people witnessed it, but those that told the Pharisees, they still tried to kill him because they, they feared his power over the people. Here's a man that raised somebody from the dead. The very thing the Pharisees said they believed in, the resurrection of the dead. Jesus did it right in their midst, and they tried to kill him for it. Think about that for a minute. But sometimes the power of God is only revealed in his perceived absence, but he's always there, and his timing is perfect. So church, let him work out the process in your life. There's always a process between the promise and the payoff. We believe the payoff. That's why we're here, right? But there's always a process there that God wants to work in your life. All right. Man. Hebrews 6, next scripture. I know it's here somewhere. Here it is. Okay. Starting at verse 18. Well, let's start at 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. By the grace of God, by the power of God, we have, we have to hold fast to that hope not with everything the world's shoveling at us. Hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus so that um, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We sang about that. Again, we see through a glass darkly now, but we have access into the Holy of Holies, and one day we'll have full access and our faith will be sight. Um. Can I just say this? The Bible says that hope is an anchor for our soul. You know, the Bible also says that Jesus is the lover of our soul. He's the lover of the eternal part of us. He might be concerned about our physical bodies. He might be concerned about circumstances, but he loves our souls. And that's why the hope that we have in him is the anchor that holds us through the hard times, through the process, through the things we don't like. That's why we have that anchor, that anchor of hope. Uh, 
Next, Hebrews 10. Um, where is it? Okay, here we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and our hearts sprinkled with clean water from an evil conscience, and our, excuse me, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water." Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for what? He who promised is faithful. He who, that's what our belief is anchored in, in whom we place our trust in, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The, the Jewish people would have, underst- would, have, would have understood this passage because you ever think about what was going on back then? The, the, the sacrificial system in the temple there were sacrifices again and again and again and they had to be done just the right way and they had to prepare the sacrifice just the right way but it was never enough it was never enough it was never sufficient there was ceremonial washing everything had to be washed and cleansed and washed again but it was never good enough yet you ever had a done something in your life where you just feel you couldn't wash it off you Well, church, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus can wash it off you. Amen. I've seen him do it in my life and in others. So as the the worship team comes forward, I want to close with just one more verse. You know, when Mark took me to Greenwood Church for the Easter service, he had bought me a Bible. And in the front of that Bible, he wrote a verse. Now, he could have wrote a thousand verses in the front of that Bible, but he wrote Philippians 1.6. And that's another verse that Dad had us memorized. Being confident, being confident, confideo, with faith of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He didn't say, well, I'm going to save you and just, hey, there you go, you're on your own. He didn't set you loose and say, hey, see you, see you in, you know, 80 years. That's not what he did. He said he would begin it and he would complete it until the day of Christ. And that's the promise that we have. He is with us. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He never will leave us or forsake us. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, I've had the privilege also of doing many Christian weddings. I I love Christian weddings. They're they're a celebration. They're, They're a type of Christ in the church. That's why our marriages are so important. That's one of the reasons. There's, there's others. Maybe I can talk about that another time. But um, just a couple years ago, I realized again why I love Christian weddings. Because it's just a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. One day, we're all going to sit down at the wedding supper of the Lamb with all of our loved ones, with all of our friends. And the Bible says we will be, we will be known as we were known. We're going to worship around the throne. Now, some people say, oh, I don't want to worship. Hey, I love being here two services in a row to worship. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. No more sorrow. No more shame. No more pain. No more suffering. 
No more, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And I believe we'll have no memory. That's, that's the gospel according to Bob. I don't get that. I, I just believe that there's a, there's a verse in Re- Revelation 21 that leads me to believe we'll have no memory. You know how the, the enemy here in the world, the enemy throws that crap in our face all the time. You know, when he reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future. One day I'm not going to remember that anymore because I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. That's the hope we have. Amen. Thank you so much. I invite the prayer team up at this time.